Hi, I'm Ashley Dinkle, Media Specialist 2 for the San Bernardino County Department of Behavioral Health and today's guest host. I've enjoyed keeping up with the Olympics, and so when I learned that we have a staff member who previously competed in the Paralympics, I was really excited. We will get to hear about that a little later as I chat with today's guest, Dr. Renee Karras. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Karras. Thanks. It's great to be here. Awesome. So before we get to your journey to the Paralympics, can you tell our audience a bit about what you do for DBH and just a little bit more about you? Sure. Um, I'm a program manager, too, for Homeless and Supportive Services. So I get the privilege of managing all of our homeless services programs. I've been with DBH for, I think, my seventh anniversary is coming up, and I was a, a contract provider for a whole bunch of years before that. And before that, I was a recreation therapist. So I've had two careers over 35 years, and it's fun to be at DBH now. Oh, that's awesome. I'm fairly new to DBH. I started in January, and I really, really enjoy it. And seeing all the work that we do is just incredible. I imagine there are some specific criteria to be in the Paralympics. Can you talk just a little bit about your experience with any physical disabilities? Sure. So the Paralympics has a whole bunch of different classifications and things like that, or ways that you can participate. But the main thing is that you're, there's a physical disability of some nature that keeps you from being able to participate in sports as most able-bodied folks do. And uh, I qualified because of an orthopedic disability that I had um, from when I was very young and then kind of got worse as I got older. And I ended up being recruited when I was in, at the University of Illinois, uh, Go Illini. And uh, that's where I started my um, wheelchair sports journey and eventually ended up being a part of the Team USA in 1984. Wow, that is amazing. I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity then. <laughs> well, I was at one point. I don't know about any more. <laughs> <laughs> I know previously when we had talked, you had said, I'm too disabled to do what my normally abled friends do, but not disabled enough to have folks identify me in that arena. Can you talk a little bit more about that? When I was 16, the muscles used to start to rip off my um, bones because I was so pigeon-toed when I was really young. And so when I was 16, they uh, performed surgery on both legs where they sawed my legs in half, rotated them um, outwards, and then reattached them. Wow. That was the high tech of the 70s for you. They wouldn't do that today, but back in the 70s, that was considered kind of avant-garde surgery. And it fixed the problem, but it kind of um, caused other orthopedic issues that have kind of gotten worse over the years. Mm. As a result, back when I was uh, in my late teens, I used to have to use uh, crutches and canes and things like that. And when I was uh, went to college, um, I used uh, just a cane at the time. And it was only really when the weather was bad. And if you can imagine weather in Illinois, it gets pretty cold as well as pretty humid, which are both two things that don't work very well with bones. So it was obvious at the time that I had a disability of sorts. When I moved to California, that's when it really made a huge difference. I guess I hadn't understood how weather can really impact orthopedic problems. So out here, 
in, in California, it looks as though I don't really have a disability, even though I have all of the same problems that I have in Illinois, but I've learned to, to manage and adapt and to live with it in a way that it doesn't necessarily impact me all the time. Now, that being said, it can be really difficult at times for people to understand um, my limitations or to see me as being a person with a disability if it's not as obvious. Uh, that, I think, is where um, things get more troublesome with stigma and, and other things uh, because it's not as obvious. And then when people find out that I have a history of playing in uh, wheelchair sports and even that I was a Paralympian and things like that, that's when a lot of the questions or judgment or things happen. And that's not only just amongst those who don't have a disability, but also for those who do have a disability, because a lot of times um, there can be comparisons. Well, you, you're saying you're disabled, but really you're posing because you're getting around just fine. And so it's like, it's true. I am, I am much more abled than many of uh, my counterparts, and I'm very thankful for that. But it doesn't mean that that I don't have a disability or that I don't have the suffering that, that uh, accompanies that. So it's kind of like being in the middle of two worlds, the disabled world and the able-bodied world. And I don't fit in either, but I'm also part of both. So it's kind of, it's kind of odd. Wow. Has that affected like your mental health at all? Or I think there's times when it certainly um, has contributed to uh, depression, especially the chronic pain over the years. It, it can be very hard to deal with chronic pain. Um, and um, not even just the pain itself, but like I had mentioned before, there's stigma that goes with it. And I think that the stigma frequently can, um, it can, it can impact you in ways that that folks don't necessarily understand. Because I think, I think if some people knew how much it was, it hurt, they wouldn't necessarily say things or do things. But I think most folks think that they're being helpful, but it really isn't. And so I think that that's how it would, it impacts my mental health more than anything. Wow, I can only imagine how difficult that would be. And I know you mentioned there's stigma surrounding physical disabilities and the chronic pain. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think what's interesting is that when you have an orthopedic disability like I have, uh, where it's sometimes noticeable and it's sometimes not, there's actually stigma on both sides. So on the side of those that aren't disabled, I think a lot of times it can be seen as um, my non-participation or my lack of doing exercise, quote unquote, the way that they would do it. Uh, I'm, I can be seen as uh, lazy or that, I mean, if you did more, you probably feel better. I've heard these kind of things before. I think other things would be even um, adding on the extra of being overweight sometimes. It's like, well, if you lost the weight, you wouldn't be disabled. That's not necessarily the case. But there's, there's a lot of these kind of topics and or discussions that are, are frequently said. I think there's also, as, as far as wheelchair sports goes and Paralympic sports goes, there's some stigma around that even. For example, there's a, a frequent misunderstanding the difference between the Special Olympics and the Paralympics. And like, for example, the Paralympics are for 
elite athletes that are physically disabled in some manner that keep them from being able to participate in able-bodied sports. The uh, Special Olympics are sporting and other events for those that have a developmental disability. They're very different, but frequently they're mis mistaken for each other. From the disabled side, I think that for those of us with orthopedic disabilities, and especially in in sports, there's frequently a com conversation about uh, faking it, or you're just trying to uh, participate in, in these sports instead of something else, and or that you're more you're more able than I am, and so therefore I don't understand why you're doing this and not just doing doing a different kind of activity or something like that, or just because you have an orthopedic disability, you should be able to do X, Y, and Z. So it, it really is weird how people will frequently um, think that the other should be able to do things in a different manner than what they think, even though they're, they're, they don't have that disability or that chronic pain themselves. So I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about the the stigma and, and how it could and frequently does lead to either depression, misunderstanding, a lack of connection, the lack of belonging, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that because I think that is such an important thing to recognize is there's stigma surrounding so many different things, um, physical disabilities, mental health, just so much, and it can contribute to our mental health and how we're feeling and how we're doing. And, you know, like you mentioned with depression, what are some things that you do to kind of lift yourself out of a depression or just to tap into any type of mental strength? Well, there's a few things. One is there's been a whole lot of therapy over the years. I wholeheartedly recommend people uh, going into therapy. I think it's a great resource for all of us. I have my own history of depression alongside the rest of this stuff that I, I worked with and and being differently abled and, and all that was also a part of that therapy. I think that that made a big difference. There's a few things that are very helpful. I think my temperament more than anything. I think some of us are born more optimistic than others. Uh, I think optimism is a strength that we can certainly learn to a point, but I think that there's some where optimism comes a little easier, and that doesn't mean that there's no adversity or um, or that people don't suffer. It's just there's an ability to uh, take on a different view or a reframing of what's happening, and that's one of the things that I've been blessed to have is this kind of an optimistic attitude. And so, and as a result, there's some things that I do that has really helped me along the way. Like for example. I'm able to recognize that what I'm experiencing today doesn't mean forever in that it, I will always be disabled unless there's some interesting miracle that comes along the way, but it will feel differently every day. And so I can't guarantee that the pain that I'm feeling today is going to be the same pain as tomorrow. Somebody said once where I was reading something about that as you get older, things kind of get worse. There's lots of jokes about that, lots of cartoons about that, things like that. And so one of the things, if you take that as kind of true, which as I'm getting older, I've noticed that part of that is true, is that if today 
is the best day I'm going to have, and that I can't guarantee that tomorrow will be any better, but could possibly be worse, then I need to use today the best that I can, because this might be the best, the best abled day, or the best attitude day, or the best situation day that I'm going to ever have. And so I want to take full advantage of it for the day, um, in, in looking forward to the day then things might start getting worse and worse to the point where I can't do something. I think the other thing that I've done is kind of dealt with all of the shoulds, and I'm putting air quotes around shoulds right now, because mm -hmm. um, I think shoulds can really get in our way and have gotten uh, in my way occasionally, like things should be differently. I shouldn't have this problem. I should have been able to have doctors that didn't do this back in the 70s, or I should have had um, whatever. And a lot of those shoulds um, will get in the way and cause cause me a lot of frustration because something was done wrong to me. But it doesn't change the present. What I do know is that things could have been different and maybe would have gone in a different trajectory. But that should isn't in my way right now because I'm just dealing with what's here today. And that my past is part of my history and then the other thing I've done is kind of find ways to learn how to evaluate what's happening for me. So is this activity that I want to take on or is the situation that I'm trying to deal with, is it a situation where if I continue, it's going to cause damage? Or is this just one where it's pain and it's, it doesn't matter, it's just going to be painful? And if I can determine if it's a painful situation versus a damaging situation, then that can give me a little bit more of a openness to be able to act in a way that I might not normally. And then I think another thing that has really helped me a lot has been um, my training as a psychologist um, and as a gestalt psychologist. One of the things that we learn is that there's only so much that you can keep in your awareness at once. And so to recognize what's in my awareness is um, will impact what else can be there. So for example, if I'm having a day with a whole lot of chronic pain and it's really bothering me, it's absolutely impossible for me to just push that aside. And so I have to recognize that I may not have the attention span or the ability to, to pay attention or focus in a way on a day that I don't have that pain. And so I will have to make concessions or I'll have to do planning in a way that I didn't before. Those are some different techniques that I use. Yeah, no, that is amazing. I feel like those are so many helpful things I think other people can really take into account too. I love that you mentioned like your optimistic outlook mm -hmm. and that you could be thinking of all the should-haves. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I really do believe that that's part of temperament. And so for those that don't have that temperament, it could even be more difficult. And I know you mentioned it, um, but you are a doctor of psychology. Has any of your experiences kind of shaped your decision to work in behavioral health or what was kind of the motivation behind that career choice? Back when I was at Illinois, this is back in the 80s. I'm sure some of you listening weren't even born then. So thanks a lot for uh <laughs> For listening in anyway. But um, I was actually pre-med at the time. Then I got involved in wheelchair sports and my coach at the time, uh, Brad Hedrick, he's, he's an amazing man. He was a getting his doctorate in recreation therapy. 
I start to learn more about that. And I ended up changing my major at the end where I got into using recreation as a way to help people to uh, make change and to improve their lives. Things, And I practiced as a recreation therapist for about 15 years. And I worked at Loma Linda Behavioral Medical Center for about six years. And when I was there, I kept noticing that I would be doing groups on the units and things like that. But whenever my clients or patients needed to talk about things and and do things on more of the um, mental health side of things in more of an advanced level, then I would have to hand them off to the therapist. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I wanna, I wanna do that. So I ended up going back to school in my late thirties, and uh, went to the doctor program at Loma Linda, and that's how I ended up going down the psychology route. Ever since then, that it's brought me to this place. So wheelchair sports kind of opened the door for me to end up at DBH in the two thousands. Wow. Being at the Paralympics, what was that like? In 1983, uh, the University of Illinois women's basketball team, we um, won the national championship. That's when things started to happen. Is really, we were, I was playing with some of the most outstanding women and uh, future Hall of Famers, Sharon Ron Hedrick, who was one of the most premier athletes, wheelchair athletes in the world, was one of my teammates, along with um, Ann Cody, who's currently serving in our nation uh, at the at the White House on guarding um, disability advocacy. And she was on my team. And we all, uh, we just were playing really well. Eventually in 1984, we got chosen to the uh, U.S. team. Usually the Paralympics is held in the same host country as able-bodied Olympics. But for weird financial reasons, in 1984, the U.S. Uh, wasn't able to host the Paralympic Games that year. We went to England instead. We played a lot of different teams, and it was uh, Prince Charles uh, was at the opening ceremony for that. It was it was pretty exciting. The U.S. didn't win that year, but they've gone on to uh, win quite a bit. And there's two fellow. Uh, Illini that are currently on the Paralympic teams that are over in Tokyo or about to be in Tokyo right now. So it's kind of cool. That is amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything. Your story is just incredible. I feel like it's definitely a story of strength. And I know I can personally benefit from a lot of the things that you mentioned. Um, So thank you so much for sharing. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience before we close? Sure. It might be an underlying message that of, of part of what I talked about, but I think it's important to recognize that suffering is suffering and that it, it can't be con- compared to others in the sense of your suffering is your suffering and it impacts you in a way that it doesn't impact anyone else because it's not theirs. And so it's really important to recognize that if you're hurting, it means that you're hurting and you need some help and to go ahead and get that help. You don't have to wait until it's the highest level of hurting or the highest level of disability or whatever it might be, that yours is yours and that no one else will really truly be able to understand it. But we can all assist each other in being able to try to carry the burden and to figure out a way that uh, to make life um, bearable. And so I thought that that was important to share because I think there's a lot of comparison that happens. And, and especially when it comes to chronic pain and, 
and and uh, suffering. Yes, absolutely. Very, very well said. Thank you so much again, Dr. Karras, for being on the podcast today. Of course. Self-care is not selfish, and it's something that is so important for everybody to do. Let's hear from a DBH employee about how they practice self-care in this week's Self-Care Corner. Hello, my name is Araceli Estrada. I am a staff analyst too. So to practice self-care on a daily basis, um, I am actually a bit of a bookworm. So I read, I do it every night before I go to sleep. I spend probably about 20 minutes reading a fictional book. I really like uh, reading something where I can, I don't have to think about it. I don't, it doesn't make me like, it's just, I, my mind can just kind of wander off. Um, so that really helps me to kind of decompress and just kind of get away from the day and all the stresses I had during, during the day. Our daily lives are very stressful. We have so many responsibilities. I know it's not only me, it's everybody else. But, you know, with work, kids, and taking care of the home and paying bills, it could get very, very stressful. And so it's important to kind of do something for yourself where you kind of just can decompress and can kind of say like, okay, you know, it's it's me time right now. I'm going to relax. And then I, I'll have time or energy to keep doing the rest of the things that you need to do. I really like um, taking walks around my neighborhood. Before I had kids, I would love to um, go hiking. So I would always go hiking. I absolutely loved it. And then I had kids and now I don't have that time to go out like that. Um, But what I do try to do, and I try to do it um, at least once a week, sometimes that doesn't happen, but at least once a week, I'll just kind of walk around my neighborhood or I'll go to the park, which is down the street, and I'll go take a walk there. And um, sometimes I don't want to, and I think, oh, I could spend that one hour doing something else, but I feel that it's important for my sanity. (laughs) So um, I'll pressure myself into going. And then once I go, I'm always happy I did it. And I always come back feeling so much more energized and so much more ready to take on, you know, whatever's next on my day. What do you do for self-care? Let us know. Send us an email at dbh-publicrelations at dbh.sbcounty.gov. Well, friends, that is all for today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Resilient and Real. If you'd like to share your story of resiliency, please send us an email at dbh-publicrelations at dbh.sbcounty.gov. Plus, don't forget to follow us on social media to stay updated on all things DBH. We have a lot of exciting things coming up for National Recovery Month and National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Until next time, live life resilient and real.